everybody. Welcome to What Do Scientists Do, where every week I talk to a different science expert and they tell us all about their favorite science topics. My name is Jessica, and today I am joined by our very special guest. Could you give us your name and your pronouns, please? I'm Emma Kometz. I use she, her pronouns. And Emma, what kind of scientist are you? I'm a low energy particle physicist. So let's break that down. What is a particle physicist? So particle physicists um, do a pretty broad range of things, um, but overall they're looking at different properties of the tiny particles that make up all matter. So everything around you from a table to your cat is made out of tiny, tiny particles that you can't see. Um, and they have a lot of different properties that we look at um, in a lot of different ways. So you said that you're a low energy particle physicist. What does the low energy part mean? Um, so usually a lot of particle physics is high energy particle physics. So to look at these tiny, tiny particles, you need to separate them. You don't want to stick a whole cat into your experiment. You just want a tiny little particle of it. One of the main ways they do that is um, they take bits of matter and they make them move really, really fast. And then they smash them together. And then that's how they get little tiny bits of um, matter out. Don't worry, there's no cats actually involved in this. Um, so my experiment takes those tiny bits of matter that have been smashed together. And then we make them really cold so that they don't move very fast. Um, and that makes some things easier to look at. Cool. So you kind of do the opposite of what the people with the particle colliders do. Um, instead of smashing them together, you like isolate them. How cold do you have to make them in order to do that? Um, so it totally depends on what you're trying to look at. We measure temperature instead of in Fahrenheit or Celsius. We measure it in this another unit called Kelvin. So zero Kelvin is called absolute zero temperature. And at this temperature, nothing moves. No particles move at all. Um, and so we get our particles to down to about four degree, degrees Kelvin, I believe, um, which is which is quite cold, definitely colder than like anywhere naturally on Earth. Um, but we only do this for a very, very small volume of particles. So getting them down to that temperature, what does that teach you about them? Yeah, so the particles that we're looking at, one of the main things with them is that when they're moving pretty fast at like normal room temperature. It's very hard to hold on to the particles. You can't just put them in a box. They, no matter what material the box is made out of, um, these particles that we call neutrons um, will just go through the material. Um, so by cooling them down, it makes them the less, the lower energy they have, the easier it is to put them basically in a bottle. And then we keep them in a bottle for about two minutes is about the maximum we can hold on to them. Um, and that's that's the window of time we have to do all these different experiments on them. Cool. So it basically actually lets you do some experiments that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. So we keep talking about these particles. You mentioned neutrons. Is that the main type of particle you look at? Or there are, are there other types of particles that you look at? So my research specifically is looking at ultra cold really cold neutrons. So this is just one particular experiment. There's a lot of different experiments that look at neutrons, and there's also a lot of different particles out there. 
the main particles that make up most of the matter that you touch in your day-to-day -day life are called protons and neutrons, along with the third type of sort of normal matter called the electron. Um, and that's where a lot of electricity and such comes from. Um, so those are sort of the main, the main particles that people will hear more day-to-day -day about. And although they're pretty well understood, there's still lots of things we don't know about them just because they're so small and so hard to measure things about. So what are some of the things that you're trying to learn about them? So our experiment is looking for this thing called the electric dipole moment of the neutron. So a lot of particles, if you know how um, a magnet works, magnets have a magnetic dipole moment. And it means that one side of the magnet is attracted to the other side of the magnet, basically. Um, and that's why magnets stick together on opposite poles. Um, so you can do the same thing with, instead of magnets, things that are conduct electricity and they're electric. Um, so basically, it's just a bunch of little arrows that line up and they'll stick together if they're facing each other. And they won't stick together if they're the wrong way. Um, and we think that inside neutrons, there might be one of those tiny little electric arrows, but we're not really sure because it's very, very small. And if we manage to measure it, there's a lot of other interesting science that will come out of this measurement. Um, so my experiment is just one in a list of about 15 or 20 experiments over the past 50 years that have been looking for this. Um, and every time, basically, we think it's just a little bit smaller. And is it actually zero? There's a lot of just comparing things to how close they are to zero in physics, which is a pretty weird concept for a lot of people to spend a lot of time doing. Yeah, because so, you're pretty much just trying to figure out, is this thing zero, like not really there? Or is it just really, really tiny? Because all yeah. these things are really, really tiny. Exactly. Yeah. That would and that must be a tricky thing to figure out, um, especially when these things are all moving around so fast and you have to cool them down to even look at them. So you said that your experiment is one of a bunch of experiments. Um, do you know where those experiments are happening? Are lots of them happening at your lab or are they all over the world? Um, we're the only experiment looking at this specifically at my lab. A lot of I'm not sure how many of them are currently running. The previous experiment happened in Germany, I believe. Um, so that we're sort of taking the work that they've done, looking at what methods they used um, and using similar ones, but improving on them to make them even better um, and take, being able to get more, more exact values. Do you know of any of the potential applications of this research? Do you know what it could be used for or is it all really abstract right now? Um, it's pretty abstract. It's mostly if we were to find a value for this little tiny measurement we're looking for, there'd be a lot of other new physics that would come out of it, or not necessarily new physics, but new physics questions. It would open up a lot of new experiments. It would help in answering the question of like, how did the universe start? And big, big questions like that in in super complex ways. That's wild. I know that particle physics, all of the math and the rules and everything that goes into particle physics is quite different from 
the physics that might describe like how a car moves, right? Um, it has a lot of different rules. Is that true? Yeah. So for we, we talk about this in terms of mechanics. So just the mechanics of how things move. Um, so things that we see day to day, you follow the rules of classical mechanics, um, where everything everything's just very intuitive um, and it doesn't take too much math usually to describe them. But for particles, we use this thing called quantum mechanics. And the word quantum basically just means things are broken up into little pieces. They're discrete. They're not connected. So particles are really weird because when you get them this small, um, they start to have behavior that can only be described on like more of like a step than a, like a slide movement. Um, so you have to look at things that don't don't move like you expect them to. Yeah, that must have made things tricky, especially when we were first figuring out what was up with particles. To take a little bit of a detour, you've done all this stuff with particles. What's your favorite science thing that you've ever done? Was it with particle physics still? Yeah, so um, one of a different research group that I was working with a couple of years ago I got the chance to go visit the location that um, that experiment's not being built yet. It's like in the design phase, um, but I got the chance to go visit the lab where um, it's supposed to be built in the future, um, which is a pretty special lab um, in Canada, in Sudbury, Ontario. That is a lab that's actually two kilometers underground in a mining shaft. Um, so this lab is so far underground for a lot of different reasons, and there's a lot of unique experiments that happen there that can't happen in a lot of other places in the world. Um, so I got to put on all this mining gear and go down into the mine with a bunch of a, a bunch of scientists, but also people who actually work in the mine. Um, and I got to like wear a big hard hat and a light and we got to walk. You have to walk through the mine before you get to this lab that's really clean. So when you get down there, you take off all your mining clothes um, and then you actually have to take a shower which is a pretty oh pretty weird thing to do two kilometers underground. And this this lab actually has the deepest um, working flushing toilets in the world, as well as just like a regular lunchroom. You can make coffee down there, which is pretty, pretty unique. And the scientists that work there, do they have to do all that every day? Like they have to take their elevator two kilometers underground and take a shower just before they go to work? Yeah. Yeah, people, everyone in the lab basically always has wet hair because you really, um, one of the things, why you take the shower is because when you walk through the mine, it's very dusty um, and they don't want any of that dust getting into the physics experiments. So there's a specific like shampoo and soap that you have to use. Um, and a lot of, yeah, a lot of people complain that it makes their hair really dry, which I think is funny. I only went down once, but a lot of people go down every day. That's super cool. I didn't know that that lab that's down there, I had heard of it before, um, but I didn't know that lab was there as well as a still functioning mine. I figured it was an old mine shaft that we had turned into a lab, but the fact that there also is just still a mine there is very funny to me. Yeah, the mining doesn't happen like right next to the lab, but I think it's a little, it's like lower than where their lab, where the lab is, um, but you definitely like still have to be aware that it is an active mine and like there's vehicles driving around and such and there's a lot of safety precautions that you have to 
um, learn about before going down. That's super cool, though. In terms of your subject and all the things that you study, is there something that you think everybody should know about it? Or at least the people listening to this show? Yeah, I think um, no one should be turned away from physics uh, because they think it's too scary. Because that's definitely the response I get from a lot of people when I tell them I do physics. Because there is quite a bit of math in it. But there's there's also a lot of computer science, which a lot of people don't realize. And also physics covers such a broad range of things. I work with a lot of I've made a lot of friends who are physicists and they do work in cancer research and MRI, which are really like biology applicable things, along with things like working on batteries. So there's a lot of different research that can come from physics um, and no one should let being being scared of the math that comes with it to stop them from uh, wanting to know more about physics. Thank you. I think that's great. And yeah, especially since the math that you do in research is probably not like taking a math test, right? It's probably a little bit different. You aren't sitting in a room and someone's telling you that you have to do all this math in a half hour. It's a very different type of math that I think the kinds of people who maybe don't like math tests, but they like the ideas in math, they'd probably like it because it's all pretty different from what I understand. Yeah, and we, we use math as a tool to like describe things. Um, so a lot of your work, if you do things that involve a lot of math, um, which my research doesn't actually, I don't use too much math directly. I basically make computers do the math for me, which is great. But a lot of the work is thinking about why you want to use the math and what kind of math you should use for what you're doing. Um, so, it's, yeah, it definitely there's less pressure to just know things off the top of your head. You do a lot of thinking about it, a lot of writing down and a lot of making mistakes along your way. I love that. And you mentioned, actually, all the different ways you can use physics. I'm not sure when this episode's going to come out, but if anybody's curious, either in the future or already posted, you might find some episodes about battery physics and making batteries, about medical physics and the things that they can do in medicine um, and stuff like that. So we've talked to some other physicists as well who do things that are quite different from particle physics. So in case anybody's curious about that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Emma. Um, This was all super interesting. Yeah, I'm happy, happy to be on the podcast. And as always, a big, big thank you to everybody listening. If you would like to learn more about the applications of physics, you should check out our What Do Battery Scientists Do? episode with Michael Metzger, who researches the types of batteries that you might find in electric cars. You can also check out our What Do Particle Physicists Do? episode to learn more about high-energy particle physics, which Emma mentioned earlier. If you'd like more science fun, you can check us out on social media at scientistsdopod, or you can visit bit.ly forward slash what do scientists do to see past episodes and more. Do you have a question that you'd like answered on the show? Message us on social media or send us an email or voice recording at what do scientists do at superstaff.ca and we might feature your question on the show. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next episode. Bye for now. Nice to see it all back.
This podcast was made by Supernova at Dalhousie University, a network member of Actua. For more information on our summer camps, workshops, and more, check out supernova.dal.ca.